best friends. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Um, I'm your professor, Ethan. I am your most hydrated professor, Ricky. I am. He just drank a whole lot of water from the faucet. Bound to burst. And uh, can you be too hydrated? Because I might be on the cusp of overhydration. <laughs> you absolutely can be too hydrated. My cells are bursting. <laughs> They're so hydrated. <laughs> they honestly, uh, they've called me. On the phone. This Who, is weird. Wait, who's this is they? so strange. Your cells. My, I, my cells <laughs> yeah. called you on the phone? What'd they yeah. say? What'd they have they to said, say? Uh, hey, uh, Ethan, we know that you're the correct host. and The correct host? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I'm always right. Um, and so they said, hey, uh, <laughs> turns out Ricky has overhydrated us. Please, please, please. What, what are the effects of overhydration, Ethan? I uh, don't know. Brain but... swelling to massive proportions? No, I think it's just uh, you getting... Um, heightened intelligence <laughs> I don't think any of those things are real My cells feel super powered I think they're sluggish I think they might be I'm, I'm starting to starting to lose a little bit I think I'm leaving peak hydration as we speak, Ethan <laughs> Don't pee on my couch <laughs> I might, I think I already have But uh, oh, Jesus So what are we doing today, Ethan? Today we are doing our one of our favorites It's probably one of my favorite for sure Of yeah, our segments For uh, sure Is the Pitch or Ditch Read Redux. You like that? that was <laughs> yeah, good. that was so good. <laughs> Very cringe. Much wow. Much wow. So um, if you don't know, uh, pitch or ditch. Hey, if you're a freak, I ahead. think well, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you here. Um, I'm gonna speak over you if anything. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what we did. <laughs> oh, you're gonna. Yeah. So the, you're gonna. Episode, oh my god. Are you gonna do this right now? <laughs> we were in rare form today, folks. So pitch or ditch. It is when me and Ethan pitch each other a show that the other has not seen and try to pitch it and sell it as a great show to watch. Then we go and watch the shows we were pitched and come back with our review of both the pitch and the show itself and decide whether it is a pitch or a ditch. So, Ethan, when you what the show that you pitched me is a show called Jormun Gund, and the show that I had pitched you is... Mega LaBox. Yes. So which one do you want to do first? Which one are we talk about? We should talk about Jormungand, World Eating Serpent. Gund. So this show came out. You said it was older, right? It's like 2012 or 14, something like that. <laughs> 2001. You make me do this. 2001. <laughs> yeah. 1987. Uh, fuck. 15, probably. So it was a couple years. This show has come out a couple years ago, <laughs> and uh, it tells the tale of a boy named Jonah who was a child soldier. Parents killed in war and by the effects of war he was left alone uh he was then purchased i want to say not really purchased he was just kind of taken under the care of an arms dealer yes named... 2012 okay oh wow they really nail it on the head look at this guy like a uh, memory like a steel trap linguisti is like a wet noodle uh <laughs> so jonah this boy was jonah jonah was taken <laughs> under the custody of a woman named coco a arms dealer who uh, goes around the world and basically promotes war with the sale of weapons and has kind of a uh, a team of specialists under her to help these deals go, I don't know, loosey-goosey, pretty nice and clean. But it's not always that clean, is it, Ethan? Yeah, so I think in all, and I'm sure all you know at home, uh, anytime that you do a you know, an arm deal, a drug deal, something like that. Oh, you guys are things are, Yeah, <laughs> things always go wrong, you know. So uh, as as two extremely experienced individuals here, um, uh, yeah, doctors, some would say. Yeah, um, <laughs> everyone. I mean, we just know for a fact it's never going to go to plan. Mm -mm. Um, 
Never, so. ever, ever. So she does have a, a team with her that she uh, is guarded by, helps her with any kind of negotiating tactics, a.k.a. sniping people in the temple. <laughs> yeah. You know, negotiation tactics. But uh, actually what's really cool about this show is uh, it is very militant and uh, it surrounds a lot about, you know, weapons of war and stuff like that. I liked the characters in this show more than some of the other anime I've seen recently. Like, there were some really enjoyable characters. A lot of them actually were pretty, uh, like, one-dimensional, but they were quite cool. Uh, all of these all of these characters in this group were, you know, ex-military of some sort for the most part, or just some, some kind of, uh, I don't know, violent organization of any kind. <laughs> you know, they're not all war. There was a mafia guy in there somewhere at the very end, but... uh. Uh, I, I did really enjoy uh, this kind of show where half of it is kind of like these big brain negotiation, you know, uh, tense conversation, and the other half is straight up classic gun action. Um, the one thing I actually kind of didn't like too much was how much I liked the big brain time conversations. And hear me out on this. <laughs> I'm like so lost. <laughs> right, I know, I know. So it sounds a little odd, and I, I had it today as I was finishing up the season. Where, <laughs> where? Hold on. Where the? What I hated was how much I liked it. <laughs> no, because what it was was the the Just really spit it out. I'm trying, man. You keep interrupting me. <laughs> no, so the tense conversation was so good. The dialogue was so fun. The interactions between Coco and other people they're trying to deal with or have a negotiation with was so good that the action, while pretty solid, detracted from that. I wanted to see more of the negotiations. I felt that the action was kind of cutting in, butting in on the best part of the show. Did you feel that way at all? You did mention how they do happen concurrently, and it is not easy to show that kind of thing concurrently, but... I wanted to see more of Coco being this big brain player. You know, that was the highlight of the show for me. Yeah, totally. But I think Coco's big brain is bolstered by her like extremely violent, extremely strong group. Like she's never at a disadvantage in terms of like firepower. Right. So I think that like very, very gives it very heavily backs her up in these conversations. I think that's, that is true, and I did like the moments where basically she, in her uh, negotiations with somebody, she would say fire, and basically things would happen because she had her crew with her. That was a good use of the gunplay and the violence and the action, but it, there were moments where she would be having a conversation, and then it would cut away to a knife fight in the snow, and while it was fun to watch, it was animated well, I just felt myself way more on the edge of my seat waiting to hear the next thing Coco had to say, you know, and I didn't want to be cut away from that. So I, I kind of wish that there was less gunplay and more of Coco being a badass in the negotiation table, you know? Yeah, I kind of wonder whether it's not just because you don't expect any of her people to fail in like a hand-to-hand -hand combat. That might be it. They're so I mean, elite. They're all thugs like yes. of the highest calendar. Of the highest calendar. And uh, how did how did Jonah be more badass than they are? Right? There are times when he is a better marksman. There's even a moment where she Coco tells Jonah that I don't think you killing that guy is worthy of your skills. You are better than that. You know, you're a knight's sword. The knight's sword is dulled by depending on who they cut down. And he's like, this is way too many metaphors. I don't understand this, Coco. And she's like, you will one day. Ha, ha, ha. But, like, she 
understand. I don't think he's better. It's just he, he he's kind of more he, effective sometimes than some of the squad well, members. He's definitely more effective because he catches everyone off guard. You're not expecting true. a little ass kid to blow you the away. You that know is what I mean? true. That is true. So I mean, I I think if you couldn't tell, I think while the other characters are pretty cool, I did like Jonah as a character. He did seeing things from his perspectives was really really cool. And when it comes to the world of arms dealing uh or arms dealings and coco was the steal of this show coco is the reason why i watched it she is the most charismatic leader i think i've seen in a long time she's this 20 year old white haired chick who is so like she's playing 5d chess and everyone else is playing checkers that's what's going on here she has everyone at her beck and call so i i kind of wished i and i can't wait for season two because Season two exists. There's only 12 episodes that I watched, but I want to see more of Coco. She is not only ruthless, but she's like funny. She's fun to watch. And I think that uh, the charisma that her teammates feel for her in the show was so well portrayed that I felt the same way. You know, I really, really dug it. Yeah, I mean, I think and that's part of the reason why I pitched it to you. I thought that you would really connect with that, but like she's just so uh charismatic and like there's just so much like greg she's gregarious too like gregarious yeah she's nice like word. extremely like um what do you charitable mean? in a lot of ways yeah, like she like, recognizes what she's doing is not good she is very aware and i think that's why yeah the self-awareness too it's like i'm yeah. an asshole it's just it's kind of like bulls right your favorite yeah. character from a comic of kill i really did like him is that you know you know you're doing bad things but you're you could still be a interesting and lovable character even though you're like not a good dude or not a good chick i think yeah i think the self-awareness kind of opens itself up to the audience being okay for rooting for someone like coco like, if she believed in her heart that what I'm doing is a good for the world, I don't think that she would gain the resonance with the audience the same way as her telling, like, her, her squad members or Jonah, what what I do is evil. I am very well aware of that, but it's going to happen regardless. I might as well make some fucking money. Like, and I, I can't, I can't deny it. That's, that's, that logic is sound. I mean, that's fine. I, I resonate with that, I guess, because it's a recognition of good and evil. And I think that works really well with Jonah, who is adamantly opposed to weapons and war and arms dealing as a concept. So him in this position is already compromising for his own morality, by the way, as a 10 year old. So he's very mature for his age, to be frankly honest, but he's seen some shit. He's been in war. He is he is uh used a gun or two. But I like that yeah, I like that um he is under the care of a YouTube gang is seeing me do some weird shit with my hands right now. But <laughs> I'm really lost. Yeah. Jonah under the care of a arms dealer like Coco is interesting because she is the subversion to what he is opposing so he's like oh all arms dealers are evil they're only in this because they believe that they're just out here making money they don't think what they're doing is bad she is the opposite she knows it she knows what she's doing is bad so um it's kind of gotten him to be cool with coco despite hating arms dealings and stuff like that so yeah i, I did really enjoy that um kind of character interaction as well i think it's very interesting that he still like doesn't want her to see him happy a lot of times. Yes, and he has a good line about that. The the same way that I never smile to hide, Coco smiles to hide. 
Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, so it's like he starts to recognize that in her, and I think that's where they start to bond, and there's a little more empathy there for her. But I, I don't know. I just liked – like that interaction, I think, is like a very deep look into humanity in general. Yes. Because I think you can you can see pieces of that in anyone that you meet. Right. Um, like one of the one or the other of the two kind of idea – ideals or whatever right like Mm -hmm. jonah you know the scarred person who's had stuff happen in the past yes i think it's pretty easy to basically try to like outwardly minimize any reaction you have to things because like like, i think that is a very interesting part of him is he just looks like kind of like a blank slate at all times he really does and i do i love the idea of a person like Jonah because his character, while he looks like stoic, he is a child soldier that catches everyone off guard. He still laughs. He still hangs. Like he still has emotion. He's not this edge Lord who is just totally devoid of everything is pain. Oh, everything is so awful. And no one knows my tragic past. Fuck that. He laughs. He cries. He's a human being. And uh, despite... Yes, but he still hides it all from Coco. Right. Or as much of, of it as he can hide. Right. So there's moments where he'll just, like, laugh at stuff. And then as soon as she looks, she's like, oop. Okay, he kind of shuts up. Yeah, like, it's... he'll stop smiling when she looks and, like, stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. but like, with some of the other characters, like, you see he spends a lot of time with Velmet. I like Vilmet. She's yeah, an interesting too. character. Uh, <laughs> but, like, he spends a lot of time with her, and he is very vulnerable with her. Right. And she kind of is with him back. Yeah. And I, I like the way they kind of mirrored each other in, that way, too, because yeah. you can tell Vilmet is a very good person as well. Like, yeah. she was a she was a phenomenal soldier, highly decorated, like, basically led a platoon, and mm-hmm. then shit just went really south. Like, her whole platoon got killed off, right? Right, by that one dude. Right, yeah. right. And so, it's kind of like a situation where um, kind of like a Japanese commander, you know, samurai commander, right? If, yeah. if your whole squad dies or whatever. You're out too, baby. Yeah, like you're kind of donezo. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of like from a disgrace standpoint, that's kind of what they were playing off of. All of these characters are very interesting in that exact way. They're all it, flawed in some They're way. all flawed, but the thing is, the flaw isn't necessarily a character thing. It all felt a little more situational, where... Uh, Mao, M-A-O, no, what's, what's his face? He used to do, like, heavy artillery, and he was just a normal-ass soldier. And, you know, Coco apparently, and she does have a real keen eye for talent, so she will find these people that have all this skill and nowhere to go. And it's very, very, that's what makes this particular team so cool, is they're not all there because they're all one-dimensional. Some of them are pretty one-dimensional, but, I mean, uh, like, they're all there because... They had nowhere to go. They had all the skill, and Coco's like, "I need a team. Do you want to? Do you want to jump on?" And if they said no, sometimes she'd blow your brains out. But sometimes, <laughs> yeah, yo, she's like I said, she's a ruthless, she's a ruthless chick, but she's still super cool. Um, I think my favorite, I liked Lutz. He was pretty funny. Um, you know, they all they all had really good chemistry, and they all were pretty blasé about, um, you know, <laughs> war and shit like that. But the uh, my favorite character, I think, is Liam. Liam was cool. The really old guy who's always smoking cigar oh, oh, cigarettes definitely. cigarettes and he was like their sniper. He was a baller. Like he he's like just, the team lead. Yeah. So he's like that's he's like I mean, he's like literally sniping people out like from three hundred meters away and just be like, That's that's pretty cruel, but you know, this is war, so just clicks another bullet in. So uh I, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna pitch this show to somebody, this is definitely one 
for people who are not big into anime. There's not a lot of lasers and powering up, and there's not your typical anime shit. This is a very human story. This, again, is another one of those that you could put on HBO and have real actors and probably have a compelling season right there. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I think it would rip. Like, it's one of those things. It's an HBO show. It feels like a story that you can have. And one thing I did look up, too, they mention a lot of weapons by name, and they all exist. Like, yeah, this is what I told you when we originally rec- uh, recorded yes. the first part is like the units and stuff they they talk about are real. A lot of the weapons are real and stuff like that. So like just doing like cursory, you know, research and yeah, then putting just, that into your show. Like that's really all it takes. Like you don't need to know too much about it. Like even, right. you know, to make it feel more real. And, you know, I was having a hard time like kind of just deciding whether this is like slice of life, but your life is arms dealer right know? right but that's kind of what it feels like because i think you see you see the downtime yeah downtime is cool like you, literally yeah. there's, there's moments where you know jonah learned he's kind of homeschooled yeah they're yeah. like homeschooling him which is hilarious he's good at he's apparently like super fluent in english and he's good at writing and but he's really shitty at math like he, he's really bad at math so they start using like okay you shot five bullets how many bullets do you have left in the eight bullet clip and he's like three and they're like oh nice so there's a and there's one training exercise where him and lutz were training against each other with paintball guns and it says okay for every body shot you get 15 if you take his flag it's 30 if you get a headshot it's 20 how many do you have to how many of each do you have to get to get to like 200 so they're using his world as a way to teach him school so i guess you're right it has some slice of life elements that make this you know it gives levity to an already kind of heavy thing like arms dealing and wars and they're not afraid to get heavy with it but the levity of the downtime is a really good balance of you know it keeps you as the audience member kind of in the middle somewhere um so if you're gonna pitch the show to somebody someone who's like kind of into you know weaponry and stuff like that this is a really good show to pitch um someone who is not big in anime at all also a good show to pitch uh it's not a lot of fan service there's a little bit there's a beach episode there's like two minutes of a beach episode there's like that moment where well basically any, Valmet, yeah anytime Valmet's on the screen is basically fan service i mean she's yeah but it's not it's unbelievable not, yeah it's not oh, abrasive and there's yeah. a little bit of stuff between like coco and Valmet. yeah what is that exactly is there like a a lesbian relationship there <laughs> coco for sure is not in like she's she knows that Velma's into yeah, yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she loves she, her, but like not like that. She and, teases and, her a lot. Yeah, yeah. and Velma is definitely into her. Velma is thirsty, baby. Like she yeah. is very thirsty for Coco. It seems like everyone in the show is thirsty for Coco. And why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you be? She is a baller, and she is probably making buku dollars. Yeah, and she's in an obvious snack. <laughs> she's looking like a fucking five course meal, baby. <laughs> a tall um, glass of snackle. Well. If, <laughs> I um if I had to knock this show anywhere it might be like I said before the the conversations you know Coco being a big brain person is so enjoyably fun to watch that like her being five moves ahead of everyone at all times it never really gets old because she does it in different ways and it never always works out like the whole thing with the doctors there's a moment where she has to uh basically fly 10 almost like a Peace Corps doctors into a country that wouldn't have let them in. Right. So she's got to smuggle doctors in, but she never wanted to do that. She was told that by her HQ. So not everything always goes her way, but she's smart enough to play and, and roll with it. So that's enjoyable to see her do that. The gun stuff is fun. It's cool. When used as a technique in the negotiation table, that's super cool. Like sni- 
counter sniping the snipers as a way to, okay, click fire. You're out of options, so buy my shit. Yeah. So when it cuts away from that to the gunplay, it almost feels like, no, 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 go back. Go back. That was cool. Go back to the other thing. I know this is fun, but go back to Coco being Coco, baby. I want that. So um, that's yeah, always right. Yeah, I mean, I guess I hear you, but like I tried to say earlier is like if you don't like fully secure all the like loose ends on the outside, like I think Coco is exposed to more danger than she needs to be. Like I think there's a lot of situations in which there's like her and a few other arms dealers that are fighting. Yeah. Where like if they don't go on this like insane gunplay spree, like there's going to be issues. Or later on, there's assassins that are called basically on different people in her team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like it's it's all gunplay at that point. So like I don't really like I agree and I don't agree. I think right. you know obviously the best part of the show is Coco making the, the, these big brain like business moves right but you're saying that that gunplay stuff is all in like to look at it anyway it's to look at it as all supporting that yeah i mean it's it's like you gotta look at it holistically i mean she can't she can't be big brain if she's under threat of getting killed she doesn't have the firepower to be big brain with she is not holding a full deck essentially when it comes to negotiating weapons so okay i can i can see where you're coming from um I, i do like the one thing I did like a lot about the gun stuff is that it was animated very beautifully and um, everyone had their own philosophy about, you know, like orchestra, like, you know, guns or music. He was a little psychotic about that, but um, they delve into the psychology of weapons in hands of men. I like that a lot. Like, basically, it scratches an itch that'll never be, you know, satisfied once you put a gun in your hand. Other people believe that gun is guns and war is like music, and you play it. It's very fascinating the way they go into weapons and stuff. So I did like that at least. So um, I highly recommend it. This was a uh, this was a certifiable pitch, my dude. Hey, this was a pitch. So I've been waiting this whole time. Just it to was see. your pitch was good. It was intriguing. Um, I, I think you sold it from the realism aspect of it, where every bit of this show is totally grounded hell it's probably happening right now like this kind of situation with an arms dealer and a team it's probably happening as we speak somewhere in the world so um very grounded if this is something that you want to pitch to somebody who isn't a big in anime no more no powering up no super saiyans here baby this is all guns and table talk so this is a pitch this is a good one to pitch to someone who is fresh to anime i give it an 86 Six guns out of eighty-six guns out of hundred. Okay, I like yeah. it. It's, I'll it's take high. it absolutely. It's, it's got it's got some problems, but it's totally overshadowed by how fun it is to watch, and it's uh it's an enjoyable time. I actually want to go home and watch season two. So I'm just gonna end this shit early. Bye, guys. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's there's one scene where she's talking about herself as a snake, or somebody asked her about being a snake. Then the then the doctor call her a dragon. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, there's a moment where the militia was called the dragons and uh, that they were combating against. And she was, this doctor was terrified at Coco's power and said, you know, the way you look when the way you flex that power, are you a dragon too? (laughs) And yeah, she, she like, I kind of like the idea of that. Maybe my flying will be better. She's got the same flying luck as Joseph Joestar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Everything (laughs) she touches, it wrecks. (laughs) Yeah. I just thought it was a kind of a poignant line in terms of the first season, just being like, she does recognize that she is terrifying. She doesn't do good things, stuff like that. So I yeah. just thought it was like a like a kind of a, t- a nice little bow on that kind of through line of her like being self aware that what she's doing isn't great. Yeah, it's not your usual uh, you know one dimensional team leader. It's not go team. It's 
we know what we're doing is pretty shitty, but it's our job. So we're going to do it professionally and do it well. So I liked it a lot. There was also this like one week period or something, two weeks where she was just like locked in her room trying to figure out how to get out of a, a problem they were in. Oh, yeah. That was when the uh, the other woman, Amelia, essentially, when yes. she had all these uh, press connections. So she could leak shit to the press. So then she was no longer under covert uh, operations anymore. She was out in the light. But then she used those connections against her by buying up a company and said, we'll give you those shares back if you quiet the fuck up. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> GTFO. Uh, okay, I will yeah, do that. Yeah, so, I mean, that was just like a really big, big brain play. It but was. It did, it was. like, show you that it wasn't, like, instant for her. She had to, like, think about it and yeah. work on it for a while. She's got this big junk food addiction. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's really big junk food addiction, but she's still uh, slender as fuck because, you know, she's running away from bullets and shit yeah, all yeah, the time. Course. So. So, yeah, that was great. The show that I was pitched is called Megalobox. Mm, Megalobox, baby. So, 10,000 feet. What's the show about? What we got? This show is about a young man by the name of Junk Dog. Junk Doggoo. Or later, Joe. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want to say what in my pitch. I did say only Junk Dog. I didn't want to show you, like, kind of ruin what he was going to be called later <laughs> he's one word one fucking name it's not that big of a <laughs> it's a spoiler man i'm not out here trying to spoil it really isn't anywho <laughs> uh so he basically is in the beginning of the show working in the underground gear fighting league what is gear even? so essentially it's basically like boxing but you have um like mechanized arm shit um and there's, like, regulations, like, base regulations. But other than that, you can do whatever you want, kind mm -hmm. of. Right. And it's more about just kind of, like, seems like boxing with basically, like, assistance, it's, kind of. Yeah, it's, like, it's a, it's basically mech-assisted boxing. Right. So your punches hit harder, and uh, you can use it for defense, which is pretty cool, too. I've seen that, you know, they would purposefully use the, the mechanized metal parts to actually block shit, shit right so. so um he actually is throwing a bunch of matches and that's kind of how he's making his living early on mm -hmm. um and there's like a couple large looming debts supposedly over both him and um nambu i didn't i understand the one about nambu i didn't really understand the looming debt over his head i think he was just trying to make money like because mm. he's an illegal alien so we really don't know, like, he can't make money a lot of other ways because he doesn't have an ID card, but, you know. I mean, I'll say that was, like, one of the worst explained portions because yeah, yeah. why the fuck does he give a shit if Nambu gets killed? Like, just go fight somewhere else, you know what I mean? That is true, so yeah. they needed to explain that a little bit, but let me just continue. I got you, I got you. I'll interrupt you again at some <laughs> point. Because I'll say okay. a bunch of good things about it and a lot of bad things about it as well. Ooh, okay. Um, Spicy. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> so anyway, um, he basically meets the world's best fighter at one point mm -hmm. and says, "Hey, do you, when you want to like actually box, fam?" And he gets so pissed. He's he gets lit up and he's upset about it. And then uh, Yuri comes. Yuri is the best boxer, and he comes to actually fight him in one of these illegal underground rings and just absolutely annihilates the guy. And basically tells him, look, we're never fighting again until you come to my ring and fight Ooh. in my throne, kind of. Through the proverbial glove down. Yeah, yes. exactly. And so um, basically the story is just him working his way up through this thing called Megalobox or Megalovania is this big tournament they're supposed to be having of the top four boxers. 
uh, mega boxers. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, the goal is just to become the best mega boxer ever. Yeah, I mean, it really does. At the end of the day, it's kind of just your underdog boxing story it's pretty the story itself on a premise level is very cookie cutter i think it's it's just underdog challenged by the best go goes on and tries to be the best that's really all it is but i think for a story like this that's all you really need i mean just to to get that hype baby like that's that's all you get like that's all you need to have um how did you feel about joe as a main character um he did kind of feel i don't know i liked him for what he was but did you feel like he had a lot? Uh, was there any depth to him? I had a conversation about this. With no, the, with shallow as hell. Yeah, and I, I honestly didn't even give a fuck about him at right. all. It was everyone around him that were actually quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, who who would you say is your favorite character in that show? Um, I think Sachio, uh, the little kid. He was cool, wasn't he? Was pretty compelling in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. So basically, is this kid who his parents both died off previously mm-hmm. and he's like a street kid with a bunch of other street kids and they're just basically trying to like make their way through the world by like stealing stuff and pawning it and stuff like that right and uh for whatever reason he becomes kind of enthralled with joe and his his uh that's you his like mission? rise his yeah. mission yeah Jesus. <laughs> Fly me over there. <laughs> Something's going on, folks. Uh, Ethan's got the corona. He's got the coronavirus. Uh, Wuhan. <laughs> um, no, so he gets enthralled in his mission and then joins their team, essentially. And this kid has, like, tech abilities that are far outpacing a lot of people in the show. He's he's a pretty smart kid. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked at, like, how much he actually knew about megaloboxing as, like, a concept because he would watch film and tell him stuff right yeah so, so, so i mean like you find out why later like why he's so tech right savvy mm-hmm. but um i'm not gonna spoil it right now good for you um but I, <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay you. so his the dad you. no 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 um <laughs> <laughs> no but as i thought the the i guess the only part of him that is interesting is that he was able to make yuri want to fight him like mano mano yeah he actually riled up the champion enough I mean, and, and, and a lot of people honestly on the way up so like his whole like drive and his shtick is he fights without any of the gear which versus people with gear i found it interesting what the audience and the sponsors and everyone involved in the sport felt about him at first and even later on is that they you would think in a mechanized assisted boxing sport someone foregoing the assistance would be celebrated as oh my god he doesn't even need it not so in all the cases some people were saying that it's an affront to the sport like it's literally it's not real megalo boxing unless you have the gear but in my head i'm like if you don't have the gear you don't have the advantage and you're if you're still winning my god my dude like you are above and beyond everybody then right so why would people? I don't know. I just felt it weird. Weird that people were just like, you don't, ha- you're not getting a special treatment. Oh fuck you! You're not playing the sport the real way. You know, he's doing better than the real sport. He's real boxing, baby. That's it. Yeah, I think like obviously it's an anime, so like realism isn't its strong suit. Not even close. So like I think the only thing about the crowd being like that 
yeah. is that it does show, I think, what you would experience in real life if that were to happen. Yeah. I think people would be like, uh, dude, you're going to die. Like, you can't be in the ring. A lot of people did react that way. It's like, you were going to get a visceral. Right. Yeah. And so in that first match, he's fighting uh, gearless against some guy with gear. They're like, freaking kill this, you know, this freaking nerd. Wimpy dude. Yeah. They're like, kill his ass. It's, it's like this this bloodthirsty dude that he's fighting oh is it the shark guy who's basically this shark this this particular fighter he has lost a bunch of matches but he's lost a bunch because of foul outs yeah like like literally aggressive aggressive like uh offenses so um i think what's so cool about you know joe gearless joe as he's called by all of his fans later on is that he was always really good at boxing i mean to the point where i mentioned in my pitch where he was not necessarily throwing matches by round he was throwing them by the minute like okay five minutes into this third round then you could take the fall but until then push him don't push him so much they could basically tailor how good or bad he could be with precision so he was already really good and then he starts fucking people up yeah so i I did like that aspect like he's obviously like very very skilled Mm mm-hmm and like to be able to basically show a close match until you lose in the you know four point two minutes into the third round, That's crazy. Yeah, like obviously you have to be extremely skilled to do that. Um, it does go into a lot about the psychology of the fighter, you know, like what makes a good fighter, and I think that shows best in the AI, that the AI mechs, the AI gear that that uh, one. The brother of the girl who owns the entire yeah, company. Yeah, I actually didn't feel that like at all. Really? Tell me about it. So, um, there was, in terms of like psychology of the fight, I don't think there was really anything related to that. I think it was their different goals as they were going towards something, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. That that's for sure. I think it was, the scene I'm thinking of is when Yuri goes to see that guy when he's like basically trying to train this. This gear that uh, uh, one of the best fighters in the world have is AI-assisted. So it basically, like I had mentioned in a couple episodes ago, that removing latency of the assist of your gear with your punch is an aspect of the sport. So the better your gear, the lower the latency. Now, this guy had AI-assisted, so basically it would react faster than the fighter that's wearing it could. And then there was a scene where Yuri went to see him and he was wearing this AI and he goes to throw a punch at him and the guy with the AI blocks and Yuri says the line. Now, did you block or did the system do it? Is that you fighting in there, essentially? And that's when it clicked for me like, oh. And he goes, me and Ace are one. Me and Ace are one, baby. So, but, you know, it's, it's very interesting the way that adding gear is kind of talking about, all right, who's actually fighting this fight? And I think that's what's so cool about Gearless Joe, because there is no dispute about who's fighting the fight. It's all Joe, all day. I think that will, like, from a, like, a audience perspective within that realm, Yeah, I think that is obviously a large calling card. And they do it originally just for, like, instant press and like being able to move up the ranks quickly because they have like a ridiculous time frame yes and like that kind of bleeds into what i didn't like about it later but um i just think you know in order to do something like that they had to do something crazy and so um within their time frame going gearless was really the best they could do plus they were broke and didn't have money for new gear and shit like that that's actually pretty funny but yeah they were they were basically trying to get awesome awesome gear and then when they couldn't they're just like 
wait a minute, let's just make this your thing. And I imagine if I were in yeah. Joe's shoes, I'd be like, fuck you, coach. Like, you're going you're gonna to make me get eviscerated out there. Like, no, 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 it'll be a sweet ploy. Like, I'm going to get punched by a robot fist without yeah, so any protection. Joe is, like, unbelievably cocky. He is, isn't he? And it's, like, really unwarranted in the beginning. Like, he has done nothing legitimately at that point. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, well, I'll beat anyone no matter what. And it's like, dude, you got your ass beat by Yuri, and it was not close. That was something I wasn't a fan of. He was so cookie-cutter, like, main, like, shonen protagonist, almost to the point where maybe it was kind of the, uh, you know, us putting us ourselves in his shoes vicariousness. He's a shell of a character, so we can do that. I don't think it, that character type fit for this show. I wanted more out of him. I wanted more of a uh, character, I guess, in my character. Well, yeah, right? I mean, they give him zero backstory, right? And they don't explain at all why he doesn't have a citizenship card. That didn't help him. That ambiguity is cool for some things. Not here. I didn't feel right for, for this for this character. I think so. that ambiguity works for like a spike type character yeah yeah because where he's like a bounty hunter you don't really know why you don't know what happened to make him one you don't know anything about his background but it doesn't really matter he's a bounty hunter i did kind of i guess if you want to look at the counterpoint i usually in stories like that you do have this sob story origin from most characters like that to to kind of generate a feeling of compassion and empathy and sympathy for your main character i'm kind of happy i didn't get a sob story so it's kind of a neutral thing i would have been I almost okay why does he want to fight so bad i i don't know maybe that's that's the thing he's just the dude who loves to fucking fight but I, well it's just like it's kind of stupid like get, right you you have to flesh out your character at least to the base amount to where you understand why they're doing what they're doing i hunt yeah i agree i just they I, did not offer any like a baseline this is why he's fighting situation other than i want to be the best that's fair and it's I, like very rarely does somebody come around in this world where they're just like i want to be the best and uh i'll get my ass beat all day long and still want to be the best he got his ass beat dude that right. man should be dead like 100%. joe joe has, he's taking his knocks but i mean i i guess that's the counterpoint to that though is that you do need to flesh out a character but in stories like this typically when they're fleshed out my dad i lost my dad in the ring to a boxing related accident my mother coached so hard she passed out and had a heart attack that's like that's the kind of stop story you get and you're like oh he fought and he won in the same ring his dad died in (laughs) yeah that's that's where usually those go so if i'm not gonna get anything i guess it's better than that but you're right i wish i had more out of joe i wish i had a little bit more i don't need a sob story i just need something i need anything yeah i mean i guess i can agree (laughs) which made coach nanbu all the better to me i loved his entire story they fleshed him out beautifully like the, the, I'd say he's the most fleshed out character by like a large freaking margin. To I think be he, honest. I think, he, and he, he kind of filled that hole for me. I didn't. I was okay with not having Joe, <laughs> knowing I wasn't going to get Joe. But I Pause. got, yeah, I got, I got, I got Coach, and his his story was cool. <laughs> and he got you apparently. He did get me, so I I, I liked <laughs> Jesus him. Jesus Christ! I liked him a lot. He was cool. Um, oh Christ! He was my favorite. He, I actually got, <laughs> um, him or Yuri. I liked Yuri a lot. Nambu was such a shit bag. It was impossible for me to like <laughs> like him. Yeah, he was he was kind of a shit bag. Well, because he was like basically intentionally fucking this kid's life up for no reason. Oh, and he fucked because it pretty he was good. a selfish little asshole. Yeah, I but- think the coolest part. Actually, I did like the the evil guy. Yes. Um, I don't remember his name. Yes. Um, Toju. Uh, Big Daddy Chef. 
Yeah, because he, he was he was uh so this guy basically he wasn't had a chef. He was just a underworld. Leader. He was he, he had a restaurant, I guess. He had a restaurant. He had a restaurant. Let's okay. He had a restaurant. Chef Boyer dealings, whatever. He's yeah. uh he's a bad dude. So yeah. he basically had Coach Nabu's balls in a vice grip, essentially with massive amounts of debt. He was the one who owed him a debt. So well, that's because he Nabu worked for him fixing the fights. In the end, that that's is correct. How, yeah. So when. One day when Joe said, fuck, you're fixing fights. I'm going to win today, baby. And uh, this uh, Big Daddy Chef Boyer dealings was not having it. He was not <laughs> he a happy said, nah, dude. fam. Nah, fam. I'm going to cut your fucking eye out. <laughs> That's Yeah, so his like thing is like, if you want to get off this debt, you can cut out your other eye. Yeah. So he already had one that was missing. Or you can do more work for me, whatever. But then if you fail me again, you're dying. The kid's dying. Anyone involved is dying. Right. And so, like, that's what I mean is, like, very, very selfish behavior and so hard to really, like, relate on any real level with him. Um, yeah. I think what was relatable was he had a previous student that went off to war. He thought was dead. He didn't really search that hard for him. He didn't search very hard for him, which was sad, but – well, Dude. no, I think he just like literally, literally broke when he saw that he died on the TV. Yeah, like I, I think it was it wasn't necessarily malicious. I don't actually, yeah, I don't blame him for that one. And I, the the war the soldier did, yeah, for which sure. was such horseshit. That was that was kind of rough for him, man. Like, I mean, he, you are literally pronounced dead on national television. What are you expecting to do? Go, yeah, he, come to freaking Iraq and look for your body? Like, yeah, no, it, but that was pretty cool that he did come back. He did not have any legs, so he but he learned to fight without him. Like with prosthetics, which was pretty cool to see, um, but uh, yeah, man, like Coach Nambu's his entire story was flushed out well, even though he did end up being kind of a shitbag near the end there. Um, but I like that parallel they had. They always had that parable about the scorpion and the frog. I was gonna mention that. Yeah, go. You can go ahead. What's like? How did that relate to uh, the characters in this in this story? Well, so basically, people that are spiraling, I think they always seem to do things that hurt themselves more than really anyone else can do. Right. And so like if you're essentially the idea of it is if you're an alcoholic, you'll always fall back into being an alcoholic. Or if you're fixing fights, you'll always fall back into fixing fights, stuff right. like that. Yeah. Um, so the parable essentially is like a frog and a scorpion and the scorpion tells the frog, Hey, can you help me cross this little river? And the frog says, "Why he's uh, the scorpion asked to ride on his bike, uh, his back across right. the river." The frog says, "Why would I do that? You're gonna sting me, and then I'm gonna die." Yeah, and the scorpion goes, "Well, I mean, if I stung you, I would die too." Yeah, exactly. So, so why so would that, I do that? Yeah. So after many, you know, back and forths, uh, the, the <laughs> frog ends up saying, "Okay, fine." And so halfway across the river, the scorpion stings him. They they both die essentially. But as they're falling, the frog asks him, why would you do that? You told me you wouldn't do that. And, and he goes, I'm a scorpion. I sting. I it's sting. in my nature. That's what I do. And that's that. I actually that was probably my favorite storytelling piece in this entire show, if you want my honest opinion, because it was such a really good way to show that people will just default default to their nature. Then the kind of the one of the messages of the show is that you can't deny what you are. And, you know, Joe is a fighter and he's just going to fight. I think that kind of adds a little bit of uh, validity to him being just like this no dimension fighter dude because it's it's the show is all about if it's in your nature, you're just going to do what you do. And he's just going to fight. And Nanbu is just going to be a shithead. And the kid is just going to be a techie. So, well, like, I don't mind him wanting to fight. I don't mind him, like, f like basically trying to fight as much as he can. But 
the fact of the matter is he got his ass absolutely creamed for like <laughs> he really really did months and months and months and months and there's no reason that a sane person would continue that drive right like unless you give us a reason like is it like he was a little kid and he saw it on tv and that's what he decided was going to be his life goal like that's literally all you need to do to give everyone like a inkling of like okay that's literally why shoyo in exactly in high like that's enough to yeah. make us feel like we're bought in with his journey we want him to do this and that was not present they kept doing a lot of like self-destructive things with uh junk dog yeah he was where they would the... show him on his bike just like driving as fast as he can towards a ravine or something like that mm-hmm. and like a lot of times he'd like fly off it and shit like that so he he's dead like let's <laughs> he should have died like 12 times but in this particular um, show. Like, him being self-destructive and like continuing to do this like spiral i thought that was the only like really good character um like aspect to him is like showing his dis- self-destructive nature and then also him continuing to trust Nambu and continually getting screwed. Yes. And then, like, also having to, like, fix fights even though he knows he can win. Like, those kinds of situations, I thought, made sense for a character that was self-destructive. And now, I don't know if that was a reaction to his self-destructive behavior inside the ring or vice versa, but I thought it was... They're definitely connected. It was yeah. definitely poignant um, from, from, like, a this is Joe's only real character aspect that isn't, I'm just going to fight and win. That's a, good, that's a good point. I mean, and I was looking for something. I think that is the only something of any kind of depth you're going to get from Joe. He was not built to be a character of depth. He is a, he is literally in more than one sense of the word, just kind of a punching bag, like the, with the character that a punching bag can bring. Um, how'd you feel about the animation? That was one of my favorite yeah, parts. So great parts were obviously the art style and animation. So good. So I beautiful. absolutely freaking loved the, um, like gritty, grainy, um, grungy sort of looking style. Right. Um, there's an anime that I've seen that it kind of reminds me of a little bit, but I couldn't put my finger on it as I was watching it. I just knew like it was a style I was very familiar with. Right. Um, I think just like at this very moment, Ghost in the Shell comes to, you know, rings I can, a little I can kind of see it. It's because it, it's a little bit like futuristic, but still grungy. And I thought that was like a very Blade Runner esque. It's it almost looks like an anime that had the deepest pockets of any like the of the the richest studio in like the mid nineties, right? It's it almost feels like a like an Akira level of quality. Totally. Um, but when you have the technology of 2000 in 2018, when it re- was released, it's, it's almost, it feels intentional that way. It, it's not like, let's push the boundaries of what animation can be. It's almost as if let's push it as if it were in a grittier time of animation. So they, it felt, um, I don't know, very purpose, purposeful animation. And it was well done. I mean, I, could not have been happier with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it was just absolutely nuts. But I did love specifically, um, like you had mentioned in your pitch, like the bed of the music that was underlying all the scenes. I thought, you know, just absolutely brilliant because, yeah. like, I don't know, it felt grungy. Like, it felt like you were, like, in the slums or you are down on your luck type situation. It had a very, um, in my opinion, a very gorillas feel it did yeah and then a very uh this is kind of weird but it had like the aesthetic was like flowbot handlebars so you're, so the aesthetic this show looked like flow bars or flowbots is 
Flowbot sounds. Flowbot sounds. Okay, yeah, I can I can vibe with that. Um, I, I think it, when it comes to the visual and the audio, everything felt so intentional, like really, really well thought out. Except for, for okay. the OPNED, exactly You're, like you mentioned, they were complete garbage. It felt really uninspired. Like <laughs> when you said that in the original, I was like, "No way!" Did he just call this shit uninspired? It was so uninspired. <laughs> it literally felt what was like the OP. The OP was literally just a dog. Like, a dog, and then the very last frame is him, because his name is Junk Dog. That's oh, I was it. talking the music. I don't give a fuck about the little animation. Okay, fine. Yeah, but the music but the, was very It was like garbage. It was like, basic oh, blah, blah, let's go. Yeah, it's very, very basic. Like, they pulled off some royalty-free site. Like, oh, this sounds good. Let's Honestly, put some lyrics on this. it was so bad. <laughs> and the ending, like, thank God we skip them. But, I mean, the ending was just... It was also it, trash. It was an afterthought. Those things were an afterthought. But, but I you think know. this has the best interlude I've ever heard in a show. Like it's like uh, they. I looked it up. It was called like Sat Salcio's theme. Actually. Yes. Yeah. And it starts like it a lot. Yeah. Like working in the you know beatboxing and stuff. Like kind of hip hop. I like the like the like the kids like the rap in this was super cool and like the kid like uh, Satchio would like go off on like this rap in the like late right, in the right, show. Right. It was very like I love that almost Boondocks kind of yeah feeling. it was. And then like I don't know it just it fit the aesthetic of like the grungy gritty um, grainy type uh, art that they were showing you. So I just absolutely loved that aspect like the music matching the visuals. I think that's not as easy as it probably sounds, but it fits it's not, so beautifully. It's not. A lot of shows will go pretty, you know, anime music almost has a generic genre where it's kind of like poppy, uppity kind of stuff, you know. Um, but if you can get a good score uh, backing very, like kind of made an abyss, did it very well, very whimsical and fantasy, but it, it, it accompanied that uh, aesthetic very well that the show was bringing. Same thing with, you know, Cowboy Bebop. Same thing with... Uh, Shit, Promise Neverland had an amazing track too, just because it's all super suspense. Megalobox, grunge, very, very grungy and hip hop. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. you were, you were supposed to feel like you're coming from this like underground world, and then you're kind of rising up through the ranks. And I think there was a lot of that rising feeling within a lot of the tunes they chose. Like you felt like it came from like somewhere deep or low, and then you're kind of rising up towards this challenge that is Yuri and right. Megalovania. Um, so things I didn't like very quickly. Sure. Um, the like controversy about being an illegal alien and not having a citizen card. Yeah. If you don't explain the world at all, it is impossible to know why that fucking matters. Yeah. Uh, I think you being dropped in it, they could have done more to explain why he wasn't. I guess that goes back to not. All they had to do was give one scene where he explains why he's an illegal alien, right? Like literally, that's it. That's all you would that's, need. That's why I got a little bit frustrated with the show. Is like. There's some things they do where it takes literally one four-second scene to solve this little plot hole that I think would add enough to the show to where it makes it totally worth it because as it is now, there's like just randomly a bunch of little like open holes still at the end. They get like a like it, it seems like the writers of this show or like the manga the originally or whoever decided to make this into an anime had a hard on for like leaving things ambiguous. And it worked sometimes. It more often did not. But there was like at the very end they they purposefully not to spoil anything, but they purposely did not show the scene that was leading up to the entire shows too, yeah. right? Which I actually kind of liked because no, it wasn't about it. it wasn't about that final thing. It was about you know 
Uh, it was about just enjoying the fight, and that's what they they did. They finally got to enjoy an all-out brawl together. Um, so I, uh, I, but like I said, more I often couldn't stand that because, like, the only thing you see after the like culmination is you see basically you hear about the results essentially, like other people talking about it, and right. then you see them kind of t- the Yuri and him talking at the end. Yes, and there's a very interesting addition to this scene now. Where Yuri's in a fucking wheelchair, yeah, and they never that... explained it, and it's a whole year later. So somehow this bitch got paralyzed. <laughs> Joe punched him so hard. Or is he... it his gear that did it because he got it removed? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions that I'd you like could to easily have effing solve. Yes. And they didn't. They someone in that writers room just had a hard on like, let's just not tell the audience anything. Let's just not do it. I don't and... know. I think that's such a like gimmicky thing, and I'm not a I'm yeah. not a fan of of like writers doing that they overplayed their hand on that one a little bit too hard well, there's yeah. plenty of shit they didn't need to tell us and then there's <laughs> that's true like a very base amount of things that you need to say so that people feel invested in the story like i was not super invested in nambu honestly i kind of was I other mean, than the fact that he had a student that was like flying up the ranks had to yeah. go to war died blah 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 and now he's a shithead <laughs> now he's a shithead you know like yeah. i understand that that makes sense yada yada yeah what happened to his wife what happened to his kids what happened to his own megalobox journey you know i just think there's there's a lot of things they could have like mentioned offhand or quickly and it would have solved a lot of my um questions i have about it so question for you though do you feel that this show was ever meant to flesh out a beautiful world or anything like that or good characters or was it just hype on hype on hype was it really just meant to be a hype machine because boy howdy it was hype. it's just weird it's only 13 episodes yes but that's like not a common number at all. No, it's not. So, especially in 2018. I kind of wonder was it supposed to be 24 and they had to chop it? Was it like I don't know, it didn't feel pacing was weird or anything like that except it was very fast. Like it was yeah. I mean, there I think like that might have dude been... should be dead because he took he <laughs> took like insane damage he took every so many fight, L's, yeah. And it was like always the week later or even in the same week. Yeah. And it's like Maybe they don't realize this, but boxers fight like once a year, twice a year, yeah. three times a year max. Right. That's why those days. fights are so big. You know, These days, right? Yeah. I mean, back in like, you know, 90s, 70s through 90s, they fought like a shitload in a year. And that's why they all have brain damage. They all got brain. Yeah. Like super concussed permanently. I'm just saying that that was one like aspect of like junk dog is obviously a really good fighter, whatever. But he should but be a he, he should, should be, be a veggie, potato. Yeah, a he should veggie. be a potato. Literally a, a veggie salad right now, just minced. So, um, how'd you uh, rank it? How do you feel at the end of the day, with its with its flaws? How how would you would you rank it? I think it's a solid eighty. And I think okay. if you aren't as assholey as I am in terms of like looking for plots and looking for things, yeah. Like if you, if you're or like looking for depth in the show, um, I think you'll love this, and I think you could see you could easily put this in, in like '90s, especially just based off like animation, um, like basically aesthetic in general. And, we do and watch our shows music. with a keen eye, so I I, I mean get we it. have to. We, right? yeah, we are professors and it's all after for all. You out there, yeah, we do it for you. But this is definitely what you said is 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 perfect. If you can turn your brain off 
you know, if you if you're kind of the kind of person that when you watch a work and being told like this is popcorn anime at its best because you just turn it off, let the hype hit you. There is enough story there to enjoy, even though you turn your brain off. But if you start looking a little too under the surface, you're going to find it's a little more shallow than it, basically than what it is. It's a it's a hype machine. It's meant to get you hype. Yeah, but I mean, 80 okay. uh, Yuri's out of. 100 is still pretty 80 AI assisted gears out of 100. Yeah. 80 is gears. So, I mean, I, when I watch it again, this has no replay value. Yeah. Engelbach says no replay. Jorman Gun, because of how much the negotiating tables and how fun it is to watch the interaction, there is enough. You can probably, after give it some time, maybe a year goes by after you watch Jorman Gun, I'd watch it again. Yeah. I could see there being a rewatchability there. So, um, I honestly, between the two, it was a good pitch, though. Thank you. Good I job. appreciate it. So you would call it a pitch at the end of the day? I think, yeah. I okay. mean, it's only 13 episodes. Like you said, it's extremely yeah. bingeable. How, yeah, how I hard think, could it be I think, like, that? it is worth at least the one time, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you, not replayable. No. And a better show between the two, I have to say Drum and Gun. <laughs> so I, do I. I. It really is. And it's it's not like it's a huge, out like, crazy, but, you know... I, I think it's uh, it I just there's edges. more substance. Yes, there's more substance. It's a lot more of a human character development story. Um, if I want to get hype, definitely Megalobox all day. That's that definitely edge of my seat. Like, yes, Joe, gearless motherfucker. Hey, um, that's true. But yeah, um, thank you for being on the edge of your seats, YouTube gang. Thank you for watching us. Uh, we like, comment, and subscribe. Smash that bell. Uh, give it a real big old fat click. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah so you're uh, how loud that was that was so yeah. thick if you, if you basically C's. if you want to shut your eyes and just be serenaded by the sound of our voice you can catch our podcast at apple google spotify stitcher Castbox, and anywhere you get your anime podcast fix check out our instagram at webology.podcast for memes um news news and uh <laughs> More memes, yeah, just more memes, memes. News, more memes. Big old meme sandwich. Of shit, we're watching. I don't know. <laughs> just content um, in general. Yeah, um, rando shit. Drop us a line at uh, our uh, email, the webologypodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know of a show you want us to watch, a topic you want to hear, or just show some love. We're ready for it. Our inbox is uh, very, very barren right now. Twitter yeah. at. Yeah. Weebology P so far. I yes. still have not spent the time to fix that. Don't worry. I kind of love that it's just Weebology P. Weebology P. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. I don't know. Um, I'm very much not a Twitterer, so it is a difficult um, conundrum for me to Just solve. drop us a DM on our Instagram. We'll, you can slide in our DMs any day, baby. Yeah, it's all, all good. day. But uh, yeah, I think they definitely got learned today. So uh, yeah. I'm Ricky. You've been learnt. <laughs> You've been learnt. I'm Ricky. And I'm Ethan. And this has been Weebology. I do see this. No one got me. <laughs> Maybe my brain cells. <laughs>